You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Lyme is more complicated than just Lyme. There's many, many co-infections that you get with it. So I have five other infections that I test positive for that we're fighting. Now when we dial it back and look at the symptom list, we realize that there are a whole list of symptoms that were really indicators that there was something wrong, but the whole body system had not crashed. There were just symptomatic indicators. You can't just treat with antibiotics. You've got to support the detox pathways. You've got to support methylation. You've got to, there's so many other parts to it than just the infection. I've never met anyone who successfully has treated Lyme just with antibiotics. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 135, Lyme Disease, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 13th, 2014. Although healthcare providers have known about Lyme disease for several decades, we continue to be perplexed by this problem. Lyme disease, spread through the bite of a deer tick, has proven to be much more than a simple bullseye rash. Today, we explore this issue with artists Anita Rolls and Pam Creamer, who have become patient advocates through their own personal experience with Lyme disease, and with naturopathic physician Kristen McKelvin, who is grappling with the questions of Lyme in her medical practice. This is an interesting show for us because we had hoped to come away with more answers, but at least we're asking the questions. We hope that in hearing the questions, you might find some information for your own life. Thank you for joining us. Lyme disease is a problem that doctors and other healthcare providers have been struggling with for years now, and something that we don't quite understand. We thought today it would be um, helpful to bring a couple of people into the studio who understand Lyme disease in a way that I, as a physician, can't because I've never had this. These are individuals who are very active in the arts community, um, and one of them is one I know well, having made the earrings I'm currently wearing. Uh, this is Anita Rolls. She is a metalsmith and jewelry maker at Circle Stone Designs. Anita has been a caretaker and advocate for a cure of Lyme disease since her partner Pamela was diagnosed with Lyme disease five years ago. Thanks for coming in, Anita. Thanks for having me. And we're very fortunate to have Pam Creamer also in the studio with us. Pam is a lifelong artist who has created work and painted murals all over the country. Pam was a primary breadwinner in her home for years until her onset of Lyme disease in 2009, which hindered her ability to paint and carry on with life as it was before. Pam is under the care of one of the top Lyme doctors in the country, Dr. Richard Horowitz in New York. And I know that this took a little bit of effort to get in today, so I really appreciate your being with us as, with, as well. Thank you. This has been a journey for you, 2009. That's um, almost five years in it, ago now. And it's been an uncertain journey. 
From the beginning. From yes. the beginning. From the beginning, yes. Lyme disease has gotten a lot of attention, and um, as a primary care doctor, I was always, uh, you know, if you have a patient who comes in, they've been bitten by a tick, you give them antibiotics to make sure they don't get Lyme disease. If they get a bullseye rash, then you do this. But it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that at all. And we're finding that the long-term ramifications of Lyme disease are severe and that we don't really know how to deal with them. Let's talk about your story, Pam, and, and how this all started. First thing that happened to me was my knee went out when I was working and I just shook it off as being the age I am and kept working. Um, next thing I had elbow pain and wrist pain and it all just kind of fell apart within a, a week of all of it happening. I think my immune system crashed. I went to see an orthopedist for my knee and then it got worse neurologically. They put me on high dose of ibuprofen, which gave me an ulcer, which crashed my immune system more. And from there, it's just been a struggle. A year or two of oral treatment ended up with brain lesions as the infection went to my brain. Um, it attacked my lungs, so I only have 62% capacity of that. It's been doctor to doctor to doctor. Anita will post on Facebook and actually post pictures of beautiful grandchildren and, and lovely family members, but often will post pictures of IVs and medical yeah. therapy and things that you partake of on an ongoing basis. Um, I was in IV treatment for a year. I'm happy to say that it stopped the progression of my brain lesions. I still have my brain lesions, but they worked. It worked. It was a hard journey for a year for sure. So, Anita, what was your experience with this? I, I think that um, everything that Pam explained about the onset of becoming ill so quickly and struggling to try to find answers from doctors um, that were struggling themselves with finding answers, um, doing the diagnostics and trying to quickly discern what was happening, it tumbled very quickly and in an extremely short period of time. And as Pam said, it was basically an immune system breakdown. So we really, when we look at the terms of how long Pam has been treated for this five-year period of time, um, really we probably think that she's been infected for much longer, and that's the reason for the seriousness of the onset of the infection. Um, I do definitely think that the IV therapy probably kept Pam out of a wheelchair because from a neurological standpoint, um, the symptoms were becoming very rapidly difficult for her. Um, that was extremely frightening. Um, I think that it was unfortunate that we felt that we had to leave the state in order to find a specialist that was able to provide the IV antibiotic therapy. Um, I, I feel it's unfortunate that doctors are not able to treat the way that they should be able to treat and diagnose the way they should be able to diagnose in the state of Maine. It's frustrating for patients. So I think our journey has been interesting and very educational. We've also learned that um, becoming your own advocate and informing yourself in situations like these are very, very important. So I think all in all, the journey has been difficult, but I feel as though we've made headway and improvements in Pam's life had we not been as active in her treatment. So the thought is that at some point, way before 2009, you were bitten by a tick, probably didn't even notice it, 
didn't have never this, got the rash never got the rash and never had the flu-like illness really don't know right i had a couple of flus but you think you have the flu i mean you don't think anything of it i think that there were when we look back on symptoms over a 10-year period prior to the onset of the major illness part of it, there were a lot of symptoms that we as women or people would shrug off. Um, Pam being a muralist and being as active as we were hikers, um, climbing scaffolding, setting up ladders, working on 12-foot ladders for eight or 10 hours a day, traveling two hours in a car, you know, all of these things your legs hurt, your bottoms of your feet hurt, your shins hurt. You know, the comments were always, I think I need new boots. But now when we dial it back and look at the symptom list, we realize that there are a whole list of symptoms that were really indicators that there was something wrong, but the whole body system had not crashed. There were just symptomatic indicators and had, we probably paid a little more attention to the symptomatic indicators earlier treatment might have prevented that large onset of symptoms, you know, back in 2009. But there's no way that anyone would have diagnosed it or that we really could have been able to say, oh yes, you know, this is Lyme, because there weren't enough to connect. And I think there's so many uncertainties. So I think that's what's difficult about it. And Lyme is more complicated than just Lyme. There's many, many co-infections that you get with it. So I have five other infections that I test positive for that we're fighting. So it's it, Dr. Horowitz has just wrote a book, and the main thing is that he calls it MSEDS, where it's a multi-chronic infection of many infections that your body's dealing with. So he's treating me for four different infections. And there's all often a reaction. Once you start antibiotics, you actually can get a reaction after the antibiotics have started, which is can be almost worse than the symptoms that you have initially. Yes, treatment is very difficult and very aggressive. You know, I, I can't help but put myself in the place of your primary care doctor, whomever you saw in 2009, and think, you know, if somebody comes in to see me with knee pain, you know, how, how would I deal with this? And you're right. I mean, I, I think probably sending you to see the orthopedic doctor made sense. And even as Anita is saying, you know, you had all these symptoms, but I don't even know that as a primary care doctor, I would have known to go in the direction of Lyme. That's what is so confusing to me. His book is really a great book. He talks about a checklist of like migratory joint pain, sore throat, swollen glands, all this stuff that just functions through your body daily. And it's a list, and he has a great list for doctors to um, use to diagnose. I mean, he's a leading researcher. This is Dr. Horowitz yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and his book is, I have this information. The name of Dr. Horowitz's book is Why Can't I Get Better? Solving the Mystery of Lyme and Chronic Disease. And I, I think speaking to you as a primary care physician and, and speaking to the ability to diagnose Lyme or patients with chronic illnesses, I think that the face of the medical community in order to acknowledge what's happening with this kind of systemic disease that has so many co-infections and so many, I would have to say, morphs of symptoms, it's clearly almost impossible for your average doctor 
to diagnose this at, at the onset um, unless someone has a classic rash symptom or a, or a very classic symptom. I think that what Lyme patients wish is that there was more acceptance that that course of a 30-day or a 60-day antibiotic um, immediately um, would probably prevent something happening in the long-term chronic pathway. But that would also create a situation where, as you had described, where you would get the additional symptoms or increased symptoms because now you would be treating an active infection. So I think it would be pretty apparent quickly as to what you were dealing with. Um, primary care physicians are, t are tasked with trying to find a specialist to help people sort out their issues. Lyme is a chronic systemic issue that a, the only specialist that really can treat it is a Lyme aware specialist. So I feel that if we can't educate the primary care community about Lyme, that front line can't get the patient to the right doctor. So then there's doctor nine, 10, 11 doctors later of people who are not aware or haven't seen the symptoms or are unable to treat because their hands are tied by the medical community, the legal community. And then you have a patient that ends up costing the medical insurance industry an awful lot more money and it's a lifelong illness. As Pam, Social Security disability now, you know, reliant on uh, other ways of making income because she's unable to function. So it needs to start from the beginning, and I'm unsure of how we can perpetuate or help to perpetuate that kind of change. Were there doctors along the way who um, were more helpful? Were there things that people said to you or the ways that people approached you? What were some of the good things that, if, if you're talking to a primary care doctor like me, you know, what would what have been useful? What has been useful to you? I think the primary care community in Pam's case, and, and this isn't indicative of everyone's case, failed um, two times. Um, it was when she saw a couple of the specialists that were quite removed from diagnosing this, um, a gastrointestinal doctor and actually an OBGYN that actually were very sympathetic and a little more knowledgeable and quite a bit more supportive, um, yet they were not doctors that would have treated Lyme or been active in the Lyme community. Um, I think the other doctors that, uh, specialists that Pam encountered um, and that I was a fierce advocate for her to see um, were not able to acknowledge any of what was happening or offer any kind of help and that was the frustrating part. It's difficult to separate when you're so ill a doctor that seems unwilling to help you and the fact that the legal community and the medical community has created a situation that makes it unable for them to help you. So it's not a situation of personal choice, it's a situation of training and they're tasked with 
what their specialist situation the is. The testing's very inaccurate. Well, yeah. That's the key. That's one of right the things there. that I was just thinking is I test patients for Lyme all the time and it doesn't necessarily come up positive. You could flip a coin. That's how accurate it is. Yeah. So then we're left with, okay, well, you don't test positive for this problem. And But is you... that true? Right. But is it true? That's the, I mean, that's the problem. Is... We need research. Well, right. okay. So that's another piece is... Um... Major research. If you had accurate Lyme testing, then treatment would happen. And I mean, even the co-infections, they have inaccurate... You know, I mean, I've tested positive for three things, but... I haven't tested positive for other stuff when I know I have it. It's the clinical diagnosis yeah. situation. And again, the, the traditional health practitioner doesn't really look to the clinical diagnosis. It's when you get into the alternative community, I think they're trained to look at the whole body and some, in the way that they're taught, I think they're more willing to look at a clinical diagnosis. But as you said, the testing is totally inaccurate, which ties a practitioner's hands. I mean, it makes you have to, as a doctor, look outside the realm of possibility. And from an analytical standpoint, I don't think you're taught that in school. You're, you're taught testing and treatment. And Lyme doesn't fit within those confines. And I think that's why we're looking at the quantity of people that are ill and so chronically ill. It's not necessarily anyone's fault as a whole. It's an entire medical community that needs to be listening to the alert that's being sounded in an epidemic way and that this is going to get worse and worse and worse and already has. And I guess it needs to start with the training, with education and research. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. I'm a lacrosse player, still. It's something I've been doing for more years than I can remember. Over the years, I've had my share of aches and pains, scrapes and disappointments. But regardless of what happened in the last game, I always look forward to the next one. Because each time I gear up and step onto the playing field, I know I'm there to push myself to new limits, to ignore the perceived limits of my 40-plus years and attack the game with the same gusto and joy as I did when I was younger. And each time I do this, I feel a great sense of accomplishment, not because of the score or who won or lost, but because I challenged myself. I push forward knowing that in those fleeting moments of game time, I'm growing and experiencing life to the fullest. Limits be damned. You want to push on in your own financial evolution, give me a call, 207-847-4032. I'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www 
dreamkitchenstudio.com. was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Join us for the Apothecary by Design speaker series at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street in Portland. Our first speaker will be Dr. Lisa Radio Hour guest and naturopathic physician, Dr. Richard Maurer, who's launching his book, The Blood Code, on Wednesday, April 16th, from 5 to 7 p.m. For information, visit apothecarybydesign.com. Well, I appreciate that you understand how tied the hands of the doctors are, and I also appreciate your saying, when you're so sick, you know, it's hard to... It's hard to comprehend whether somebody is unwilling to help you or whether they just don't have the resources to help you or whether, you know, it's just so complicated. And you're right. When you go in to see a doctor and you've gone in to see a doctor, you know, for the fifth time and you don't have a diagnosis and you still feel really poorly, um, you know, that dynamic is so fraught with problems just from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that you're really trying to see it from, you know, a bigger perspective. But at the same time, you have to treat this person in your life who is your partner who's the person that you have to care most about it's a it's a tricky thing it's a very tricky thing it's diff it's difficult it's been a very frustrating path I think that it's difficult not to be angry mm. um, you're angry at the whole situation so you're looking for a place to put the anger and a lot of times when someone is not willing to treat or not actually willing to open their heart or their mind to the possibility of this situation that you become very frustrated and at that point that doctor doesn't become human to you that doctor becomes a part of a medical community that basically is pumping out a robot that could a computer that could diagnose as opposed to a compassionate human so when you ask the question about the number of doctors that were you know supportive um, that's where that scale was tipped. There weren't many doctors that were supportive. And again, I think it comes from them not being educated or their hands being tied. And I understand that. Well, it isn't as you're talking, I'm thinking about the term gatekeeper, which is something that was applied to primary care doctors probably about 10, 15 years ago. And instead of like a gatekeeper, it, it's, you know, the gate just seems closed. You know, we're, we're sort of, we are tasked with, you know, keeping people beyond, you know, where we are. It's a, it's a very challenging thing. And I think that Lyme has been called the new AIDS. Yeah. Um, and there's more cases of Lyme disease than there is HIV in the country right now. And we also have, and we know that HIV is something that initially people died immediately from. Now they don't. So now it becomes a chronic disease, not unlike cancer, not unlike diabetes, not unlike heart disease. But where does that leave people like you, Pam, who, you know, don't have a good, you don't have a cure right now? No, research. I, I, I pray for research. So. I, I, th I think the, the issue 
in dealing with Pam's illness as it stands right now is that we're looking at a chronically ill patient whose best hopes for a normal life is a new normal. And I think that uh, most chronically ill Lyme patients, um, although they hope for being completely better, really just want to keep a whole host of other chronic illnesses at bay because their immune system has been under such siege. And when Lyme isn't treated initially as quickly as it could be, and the manifestations of all the chronic illness already start to happen, you there are certain parts of your body system, and you would know as a doctor, that don't regenerate themselves, that don't go away. Brain lesions do not go away. Neurological problems stay. You can go through, which Pam will be at some point, um, will uh, neuropsychology in order to learn and create new brain pathways to learning. Um, she's very fortunate that she hasn't lost her creative ability. Um, however, her physical stamina mm -hmm. and ability to stand and paint has been taken from her. Um, I know she wishes every day that it will come back, and I do see her painting again. Not murals, uh, not standing on scaffolding, but then again, we're not getting any younger either, so maybe that's a transition of life as well. Um, so I, I think from a chronic standpoint, um, we do the best we can to manage to get back to what is a, a new normal. And I think um, we have many friends in the Lyme community that are trying to get out of wheelchairs, um, yeah. that have heart conditions. Um, I think that the general public isn't aware of the depth of how this can systematically age and, and destroy your body. Well, I'm very sorry that this has been a struggle. Um, you know, I can't help but, as a as a doctor and as a human being, just feel this the, the helplessness, and know that there's so far that we have to go on all of this. But I also appreciate your taking the time and um, sharing your story because I think that it's the stories that when we get them out there. Will will event will be leading to the research and will be leading to, you know, doctors changing the way that they practice medicine and and the more stories and the more people who are willing to share their experience, I think the better off we're going to be with all of this. So uh, I, I give you credit. You're um, see, this is not an easy nope. lot that you've drawn drawn, and you're nope. both. Um, nope. I can see it's been a struggle, but I appreciate your you're really kind of sticking it out and doing what you've been doing as, as artists and I guess Lyme disease warriors at this point. We've been speaking with Anita Rawls and Pam Creamer about their experience um, with Lyme disease and about their art. How do people find out about your art? I have a website, um, circlestonedesigns.com. I have a very active Facebook page, um, Circle Stone Designs. Um, I use social media um, Pam actually has her own um, Etsy site. Mm -hmm. I, I do um, sketching from my chair now, which is good, good for the brain. And the name is? Pamela Kramer Artist. Right. So we, we've maintained um, the ability to, to move ourselves forward. Um, so you'll, you'll find my work here and there sprinkled um, up and down the coast and uh, I'm active in doing 
craft fairs and shows and so. Well, I'm very glad that I had the chance to spend time with both of you today and um, I wish you all the best on your journey and, and I thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for doing it for the Lyme community. Thank you. We really appreciate it. I think that the, the, the more doctors and the more people that are aware uh, that uh, early diagnosis and treatment is the key. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. Sometimes I get scared. While it's difficult to admit to anyone, much less myself, there are times when what lies before me stops me in my tracks and makes me feel that I can't go on. That's when I know I have to dig deep, take a deep breath, step outside my comfort zone and move ahead. Each time I do that, I grow and learn something new about myself and what it means to not be daunted by fear of the unknown. I talk of this often with my clients by helping them understand that while some decisions can be scary and make you feel uncomfortable, none should frighten you into inaction. That only limits progress, and they should be seen as growth opportunities. A mantra we use at our offices at Booth is power through. So if something is holding you back today, my advice to you is power through. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need boothmain.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. There are many things that, as a conventional physician, I still struggle with, so I'm happy to have the chance to speak with people who are trained in a slightly different way, including naturopathic doctors, and many of my um, good friends in the medical community are naturopathic doctors. Today we have with us Kristen McKelvin, who is a naturopathic doctor who has been in private practice in Springvale since 2009. Her focus is chronic illness, which often includes Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses. Kristen, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. I really love what naturopathic medicine, um, sort of the premise behind it and the, the science behind it. I think people mm -hmm. might be surprised with just how um, focused on the molecular aspects of medicine, naturopathic medicine can be. Absolutely, yeah. I think that that's a big part of why I moved to Maine, actually, was to sort of um, there's a lot of miseducation about us being just sort of the people who tell you to go out in the woods and eat nuts and berries, you know, and we, we do go to actual naturopathic medical schools, um, which a lot of people don't understand the first two years being very similar to the school that you went to. And, um, and we just, we just come at it from a different perspective and we treat the whole and, 
you know, instead of learning all the in-depth surgeries and things like that, we learn more of the natural therapies that have been done for hundreds or thousands of years. And, and um, you know, they still have obviously quite a bit of, uh, quite an effect on people's health nowadays. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been great. I did struggle though choosing between allopathic and naturopathic medicine. Well, tell me about that. So, well, if I had to do it again and knew I was going to come to Maine, I think that I would have gone to allopathic medical school first and then gotten my ND degree. Um, In Oregon, it's very different. We're primary care physicians. We work in hospitals. We work in big clinics. We're covered by all the insurance companies, even Medicaid. And out here, it's very, very different. Um, We don't have insurance coverage yet, but that's coming, hopefully. Um, We, you know, we're all pretty much hanging our own shingle. And um, I miss that team, that team effort. And I miss working with people, which is why I love meeting people like you, where I can uh, network and and get that, that sense of community back, because I do miss that. And out here, it's just not as common to see a naturopath. Whereas in Portland, Oregon, you know, there's a naturopath on every corner. So, which may be a little too many naturopaths, but. Well, so it's an interesting opportunity for you. You're kind of doing. Absolutely. That's why I came out here. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be part of the movement, which is why I came to Maine. And I love it. And I love being part of that movement. But sometimes, you know, when that person is sitting in front of you and they're so sick and you just want to give them that one medication that I used to be able to prescribe and now I can't prescribe it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So that must be um, quite a significant part of your population if you like to f- focus on chronic diseases and diseases right. like Lyme. Yeah. Um, you, you went in the direction of things that were complex. Yeah. You're kind of inviting <laughs> inviting troubles into your practice. Why? Why did I do that? But why did you yeah. do that? Because you could have done something easier. You know, I could have. Um, I love a puzzle. I love a puzzle. Um, I, I love being part of that team with the patient where, you know, you're figuring things out. And that's ultimately what drew me to naturopathic medicine because it's so focused on them. It's not focused on the symptoms. You know, I always joke because people always, you know, the most common question I get is, what can I take for this? You know, they see something on Dr. Oz or, you know, hear something from a friend. What can I take naturally for this? And naturopathic medicine is a totally different paradigm because there is no, what do I take for this? It's, why do you have that? Let's fix that. Because if we fix that, you won't have the symptom. So, and what I give one person for eczema or acne or hormone issues are going to be, is going to be a totally different protocol than what I give another person because it's about the person. It's not about the symptoms. And that's when it becomes even more complex with Lyme because it's such a complex illness and there is no one protocol. And that's why I think people struggle with it. Well, this is what I have noticed is we started with Lyme being the bullseye rash disease. Right. You know, this is if you have a rash and there was a tick, you have Lyme, you get antibiotics. Yep. But now we know that it impacts the heart, it impacts the brain, you know, it impacts the entire nervous every system. system. Yeah. Every system, right. Every system. The but, great mimicker, they call it, you know, just like celiac disease. So that must make it challenging for you to try to figure out why somebody has it in their 
nervous system and not their heart. Right. How do you parse through that? You know, whenever I get overwhelmed, I think of one of my mentors, Dr. Dick Tom. He's one of the forefathers, I call him, of naturopathic medicine. He's one of the big uh, professors at NCNM where I graduated from in Oregon. And he, I just take a deep breath and I think of him saying, your patient is an onion (laughs) and you've got to take it layer by layer. And especially when it comes to Lyme, that's exactly what you have to do. As much as you want to give somebody pain relief and of course palliative care, you know, there's definitely a time and place for that and I'm all for it in that case. But um, that's the big struggle with chronic illness, especially with Lyme when people are having neurological symptoms, it's scary, you know? When people are having heart issues, it's scary. And um, that's one of the hard parts because the education piece in the allopathic community is what I want to help build because I feel like there's so much stigma around Lyme, especially when it comes to specialists. And I can't do it all, you know? I can't check out somebody's heart. That's not my specialty. I can hear if they have a murmur. I can hear if, you know, I'm, I, I basically have a family physician's um, focus where I know, a little, I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I don't have a, you know, I'm not a specialist. So I need to be able to send my patients to a cardiologist, to a neurologist, to a rheumatologist, just to make sure because I'm also not one of those people that sees Lyme everywhere. Although, ask me that again in another couple of years. But, um, you know, it's just going down the checklist. Obviously, if people aren't feeling well and you think you have a diagnosis, but it doesn't quite fit and you treat them for it, but they're not getting better, we need to look further. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck with Lyme because their doctor either doesn't agree that there's chronic Lyme or it's just not something they thought to look for um, because of the stigma around it. So cut to years later when they're in my office and, you know, you really have to take, I mean, that's why my first appointment is two hours long. You know, you have to get a good history. You have to get a good physical exam. Labs are just part of the picture. You know, I'm not one of those people that sees a negative lab and thinks, oh, you're done. You know, it's not Lyme. Because as we know, the tests are not reliable. Well, and that is that proves to be a problem for people um, who are trying to practice traditional medicine. You know, Absolutely. I, if I, you know, I'm trained in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, and that gives me, if I I'm using that mindset. I have more time, and right. I, I'm able to look more towards the the problem uh-huh. and mm-hmm. the whole. But there are times when I'm called to see a patient in 15 minutes, right? And I'm and I need to offer them something, and yeah. often that's a lab test. And with Lyme, it is really complicated because the lab tests that we have, they may come out negative, but it doesn't mean the person doesn't have Lyme. Exactly. I mean, you think of. Think of just basic immunology. If somebody's really sick, especially if they've been sick for so long, their immune system is not gonna be up to snuff enough to, to produce antibodies. You're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna be producing as many antibodies as it, as it was, you know, months ago or even years ago. And those antibodies die down. Um, anyway, so I just feel like, you know, I feel like the focus has gotten so lab-based and we need to remind ourselves that, that again, that's just part of the picture. You know, we are good diagnosticians if we just have the time to put all the pieces together. 
Um, really, there is no lab that is 100% other than a culture for anything, pretty much. You know, it's part of the picture. It's a snapshot of the blood taken out of the arm or wherever at that moment. It depends on what they ate the night before. Do they have a cold? I mean, you know, all doctors think of those things when they're running any kind of blood work. Certain things are going to affect that. Um, but with our screening test, which is typically the ELISA for Lyme, um, with our screening test being at most 68% sensitive, you know, I don't think any screening test should, should be that, have that low of an accuracy rate. So that's really where it becomes, why don't we look at another test? Why don't we look at a culmination of tests, you know? So what would that be in your practice? Well, um, I, I really try to focus on getting the most information I can. Uh, with me, you know, it's, it's hard because I'm not covered by insurance and patients are paying out of pocket. Um, I do use a Western blot when I can. With PCR is great. The more information, the better. I rarely use the ELISA because I just frankly think it's useless. Um, unless you're really just wanting to screen somebody and, and, and that's our only option, absolutely I will use it. Um, but again, we have to remember Western blot is just showing exposure. It's not showing active infection. So if they have a positive Western blot, that doesn't mean that they have Lyme. It doesn't mean that they have an active infection. And I think that's where some people also get caught up in it because, you know, maybe it's not Lyme. Maybe it really is fibromyalgia. And, yes, you have had an exposure to Lyme, but, you know, that's where, that's where it really becomes the puzzle. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. One of my friends, Ken Janes, is, uh, he was a surgeon for his entire uh, career and adult life until he retired and he really at heart is a naturalist and does beautiful photography of nature and all of these beautiful nature settings. They went to Africa and shot some amazing shots in Africa. They, he, he goes out into the wild and takes pictures of the birds. And I think what happens is that I'm noticing people are really, as they are retiring or getting to retiring age, and I'm working with many, many people in that bracket, that they really are starting to find themselves in, in an area that is completely removed and different from their their life experience up until this point. So the landscape, I think, talks and speaks to them in a, in a special way um, and, and helps to nurture that and, and steward that activity. What I really endeavor to do is to try to create that bridge between what their old life was and what their new life could become or, or is becoming. And we're always in the state of becoming. But I, I think that the built landscape gives you a place to really meditate and seriously think about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Jim Graderix of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Wellness, now that's a word that can take on so many meanings. Well, what's your definition? Is it 
waking up feeling fresh and being able to play with your kids? Or is it just having a day of feeling pain-free? Regardless of your definition, let Black Bear Medical be your guide to wellness. It's not the products in our pain center. It's not the therapy products, the recovery products, or even our massage products. It's our expertise and our entire approach to a better you. Let our staff look at your overall wellness and help create a plan, a plan you can live by every day and dedicate yourself to every day. It's not just a product and prayer. It's a plan and a promise. Visit our locations in Portland and Bangor or blackbearmedical.com to see why we keep you active and in the game of life with medical equipment, sports health, rehab products, wellness products, and more. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. So what are some of the different um, ways that patients have come to you and have had Lyme? What are some of the experiences you've had? Well, um, in the beginning, when I first moved out here, I was very re- resistant to treating Lyme. I was like, oh, I'm not going to treat that. <laughs> but you can't control what walks in your door. Um, and the first few cases I treated, luckily, were pretty straightforward. They were... Um, chronic cases. I hate to use that terminology, but they were cases where they were infected likely years ago. It wasn't a, you know, a recent tick bite or anything like that. But just kind of, again, things that fatigue and weird night sweats and and things that we weren't really finding a cause for and going down the line of differentials, I thought, well, let's, you know, we live in Maine. These patients are outside enjoying this beautiful place that we live um, let's test it. And actually my first two patients were a couple and that's what got me thinking about the potential for sexual transmission, which is now what's, you know, coming out in the research too. Um, one, the, one of them had an actual history of a tick bite and the other one didn't. That doesn't mean it was sexually transmitted, but you know, that's definitely something we're looking at. So uh, that's interesting. I hadn't Maybe I, I live under a rock, I guess. I hadn't realized. No, you don't. It really is very, you know, very new. But it's a spirochete, just like syphilis. So why wouldn't it be? You know, why wouldn't it be? Um, it, it certainly isn't common. Otherwise, I think we would see it a lot more often. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to me as a scientist and as a puzzle person um, that I have seen couples where only one had a history of a tick bite. Now, keep in mind up to 50% of people don't even recall a tick bite who have Lyme. So that doesn't necessarily mean it was sexually transmitted. But it's something to keep in mind. And there was a study, um, gosh, but the, it was, I think it might have been Science Daily. Um, and they, uh, it was in the last month or two that they released a study that it was found in fluids. And, you know, the spirochetes were found in fluids. Do we know how, you know, contagious it is? 
again, I think that if it were more common, we would definitely see that. So, so you've seen patients that have come in as a couple before, and both mm-hmm. of them have had Lyme. Yeah. What are some of the symptoms that people have when they walk through your doors? Um, usually fatigue uh, is the big one, and um, a lot of memory issues, you know, lack of focus. Sometimes it almost borders on, you know, ADD, ADHD. They can have joint pain. That's also very common, especially migrating joint pain, where it's not the same joint every day. Um, general soreness, which again is why fibromyalgia is one of the common misdiagnoses, and fevers or night sweats. Those are probably the big, the big ones that set off my my red flags, and those are the ones that I definitely hear in the history of these people that have been trying to figure out what's wrong with them for years, and then they see me and they come and see me, and you know we go we go down the line. We check adrenals first, make sure their hormones are, are up to snuff making sure they're getting enough magnesium, which is lacking in our soil these days and is very important for uh, muscle health um, and heart health. And, you know, I test for it. I'll do uh, a Western blot with a PCR, hopefully. There's also a new test that tests um, T-cell response. It's from Pharmacon Labs, which is a lab in Wisconsin. It's really new. It's not CDC approved. It's not one of the, if it's positive, it's reported. But I've been using it. It shows active T cell response and therefore active infection. So I have been using that when I can, again, when when the patient's able to afford it, because it has, I've used it probably five or six times now, and it has reflected what I've seen clinically. And it's great to have something to guide you when you're going through treatment, because it does take time. I don't always use antibiotics. Um, luckily those first few cases I got did amazing with herbal therapy and homeopathy and they to this day have not had symptoms return. So So did you also treat these patients with antibiotics or did you? Not the first few, you know, when I first moved out here, I did what I, what I do best. And, um, that for me is a specific form of homeopathy called biotherapeutic drainage. Um, it focuses on a cellular level and you, you know, you're supporting each organ system separately, and that's just what I love, uh, what I do, and that's what I used, and it was successful. Then I started working with more doctors who treat Lyme, going to the ILADS conferences, and getting scared, you know, oh gosh, I really should be using antibiotics. And even my own colleagues were saying, you need to be using antibiotics, and you know, and I was like, but they got better, <laughs> you know, but then I got really scared and I started using more antibiotics and then the people on antibiotics started just plateauing and I, I was still doing the other naturopathic stuff because you can't, you can't just treat with antibiotics. You've got to support the detox pathways. You've got to support methylation. You've got to, there's so many other parts to it than just the infection. I, I've never met anyone who successfully has, has treated Lyme just with antibiotics. So I got kind of caught up in that, and, and now the last year or so I've really seen people just plateau on that and get toxic buildup, and it just becomes, you know, what I call this polypharmacy of of them needing more and more drugs, you know, pain medication for the pain and nerve, med- you know, like gabapentin for the nerve pain, and it's just like all of a sudden my patient's on you know, 12 different really intense medications, and we're not making any progress. 
So I'm kind of revamping my original protocol. And I definitely think there's a time and place for antibiotics. If it's in the nervous system, if, you know, if the patient is really immunocompromised or they've got, you know, other morbidities going on like diabetes and things, heart disease, things like that, we definitely want to be aggressive. But you can also be aggressive with herbal therapy um, if you do it correctly. So if somebody is interested in say they have a Western doctor and they also come to see you mm -hmm. and say the Western doctor is using antibiotics, yeah. what types of homeopathic um, remedies and herbs are effective with Lyme disease? Again, it depends on the person. It depends on what they need specifically. And that's, that's one reason why I love homeopathy so much because it doesn't interact with medications. Um, and I just, I go by what the patient tells me, you know, what their body tells me, what their story tells me. A lot of it's about the gut, you know, we're learning more and more about the microbiome. And of course, if you have somebody on long-term antibiotics, that, those, that gut flora is going to be really, you need a lot of support. Um, and as naturopaths, you know, we're kind of known as the <laughs> gastroenterologists of the field, sort of. <laughs> you know, literally the field. Um, but uh, I'm always focusing on the gut and I'm focusing on what I can do to, anything I can do to help the antibiotics, help the medications be more effective. So helping, helping their detox pathways and, and helping their bodies generally get healthier and reduce as much inflammation that we can in other ways, like diet, um, is huge. And that can, that can help alleviate a lot of the side effects from medications. It can help, and it can help the drugs work better because you're reducing that inflammation and the body's able to, you know, get that medication to where it needs to go. So I work with a lot of doctors who they kind of handle the antibiotics and the other meds, and then they send me, them to me for the, the naturopathic piece. And I'm a big diet person. I'm all about, you know, that's something that we all, it's hard, but that's something that we can control is what we're eating. And that can have a huge effect, as you know, um, on our inflammatory cascade. How can people find out about your practice and about the work that you're doing with Lyme and other chronic illnesses? Well, I have a website, and it's um, my practice is called Bear Medicine, which is bear as in naked, B-A-R-E. Uh, so bearmedicine.com is my website. Um, I'm also very uh, into social media, so I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And um, I've also started my new goal, which dreams are fun, <laughs> but my new goal is to somehow um, open a Lyme specific clinic, an integrative clinic where there are MDs and there are naturopaths and there are, you know, people can come and get IV therapy, which I can't do in Maine, um, come and get sauna therapy, hydrotherapy. Hopefully, you know, we can maybe get a couple specialists to at least come in a couple times a week. That's really my long-term goal. And so I've kind of started a Facebook page and a Twitter account for Lyme Institute of New England, um, which is what I'd like to call it. I don't know that there's a place like that. I haven't found one, and certainly my patients haven't found one. So that's really sort of my, my focus right now is trying to 
because I'm I'm a doctor and I started a you know I hung my little shingle I started a little practice on my own but starting a clinic is a whole different piece so I'm really trying to get out there and educate and hopefully network and find people who are like-minded to provide a place where people can come to one place because these people are exhausted you know it, the illness becomes their life it's like cancer they have to come see me one day then they go see their primary care the next day then they go see their acupuncturist for the pain management then they have to go to the gym and get sauna you know it's just oh wouldn't it be nice for them to come to one place and not have this condition take over their life so that's my goal well, I suspect you're going to be successful because there is definitely a need, and it sounds like you're very um, thoughtful about all of this. So, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Well, I encourage people to go to your website to learn more about you and the work that you're doing. I appreciate the time that you spent with us today and also the work that you're doing with Lyme in the state of Maine because it is a puzzle. And it is. It's something that we doctors, naturopathic, allopathic, osteopathic. Everybody. Everybody, all it's of us. Just, we all need yeah. to have open minds and try to understand and work together absolutely yeah we've been speaking with dr Kristen mckelvin a naturopathic doctor who is in private practice in springvale and who will be giving a talk for medical care providers on lyme disease through apothecary by design in may thanks for coming in today thank you so much for having me you've been listening to the dr lisa radio hour and podcast show number 135 lyme disease our guests have included anita rolls Pam Creamer, and Kristen McKelvin. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and as Bountiful1 on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Lyme disease show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine, at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.